Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you in part by our brilliant Patreon members. I want to give a special shout out and thank you to them. They supported us and the show even during the hiatus. If you want to support the show as well for as little as $1 a month, you can get solo episodes and updates from inside my writing process at patreon.com slash secret library. Another fun announcement, I'm still accepting spots for individual clients who would like to start working with me this month. If you want some one-on-one support, you can book a consult with me at secretlibrarypodcast.com slash consult. This is the Secret Library Podcast. My guests this week are Olivia Allison and Megan Miller-Bradford, the co-hosts of Marginally Podcast, a show about fitting writing into a busy life. They've been friends since college, so Olivia and Megan are great examples of making time for writing when there's a whole lot going on in your life. Olivia is working on a novel in the mornings before going to a more than full-time day job as a consultant and team leader in a big company that requires a lot of travel. Megan is a writer and librarian whose work has appeared in Entropy, Kirkus Online, the book and culture website Forever Young Adult, the feminist website Quotabell, and long ago, the Dallas Morning News, as well as select conference and trade publications. She writes both young adult and adult fiction centered around complex women's friendships, and her current project is a YA novel about authenticity, climate change, and surfing. So I was lucky enough to be on Marginally and to get to know Olivia and Megan as fellow book and writing podcasters over the past several years. And so I knew that since they both talked about and thought about writing in the midst of a busy life, I really wanted to get their take from sort of inside the process of what revision is like. Since both of them are currently inside of novels, inside of revising them, I wanted to get that in the moment process. Because many times when we talk about books after they've come out, it has this sort of after the fact, wistful, ah, long ago I did this. And while that kind of insight can be really invaluable, it's also wonderful to have the kind of in the moment experience of the process. So that's what I'm hoping to share today. And you can get the notes, links, and more information about this episode and sign up for footnotes, which are weekly letters about writing sent right to your inbox at secretlibrarypodcast.com. Now let's get on with the show and Olivia and Megan. Hey, Megan and Olivia. Thanks for coming on. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hello. Yeah, it's so. It's so fun to go back and forth between like, oh, we're on your show, you're on my show. It's fun. I also, I'm into this two people team episode now because it's like you get two perspectives for the price of one yeah we're very cheap (laughs) (laughs) high quality man it's high quality stuff (laughs) so as we were talking a little bit before I, I think maybe we can get into the feeling state of revision and what it feels like to finish the first draft, how we feel at the end of the first draft, and then how it feels to start getting into the next draft and to think, okay, where do I go from here? So I'm wondering if each of you can share a little bit of what that experience has been like and and how you deal with the feelings and and what feelings have come up. Sure. Uh, Megan has more experience than I do, so I think she should kick off. Uh, I don't know about that. Well, so just for a little background, I've written... I wrote one novel and queried it to requests and then followed by rejections and then put it away and started another one um, and I'm revising that one right now. So um, that's kind of where I am. And each one has felt different when I finished. This one, I wasn't sure if I was finished with the first draft or not and just decided I was, then decided to start revising. So, you know, it just feels very uncertain I guess um Mm. yeah like 
I always thought, oh, I love revision. I love, you know, edits. I love all of that kind of stuff. And I did the first time around, and this time around, I have not loved it. So um, I am like, maybe I'll just be a serial first drafter. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's worthy of a T-shirt, like serial yeah. first drafter. Yeah, I like it. Collaboration. <laughs> Get on the merch. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I don't know. I think it depends. You know, everybody says each draft is different or each book is different. And that's been the case as far as, you know, this one's gone. I wrote this one totally out of order. And maybe that's why I'm having such a hard time piecing it together. Um, but, I mean, I outlined it, but then I just wrote it as I needed to. So now I'm having to go back. And it feels like building – it feels like building a, a – a, a, a human, right? Like you have this mm. skeleton and then you're like going back and putting muscles on and all the gross bits and, you know, putting it all together and making it look nice at the end. That's kind of what I, but I don't have instructions. No, there's never instructions. Like no matter how much we read, it doesn't feel like we have the instructions. Yeah. Well, because you read beginning to end. Yep. Yeah. And it feels like that's how you should write it, but that's not often the right way to write it. And it's a disaster. Yeah. What's your experience, Olivia? Oh, God. Um, so I'm in the middle of first drafting right now. And uh, as we're discussing this, I'm thinking, so my previous experience, I had focused so much. For me, there's a tension in your first drafting between getting some freaking words down uh, and like actually writing a book that is like on its way to being a book. And I think... Definitely in my first book, which I revised twice and then decided I didn't want to do the rest of the revisions that would be required to get it to a place where it could go into the world. Um, I mean, I'm working on something different, very different. I'm really happy. I think that was like my practice novel. So I'm really happy to not be working on that previous book. Although sometimes the story still bothers me. So anyway, maybe later. Um, but what is really difficult right now is that I know how, so I think in my first book, I just like wrote some nonsense in order to get something down on page. And I went through a lot of random trajectories. You know how you do, you like come up with some, it's like, oh, I really need this character because whatever I wrote about it that morning and some kind of free writing and so I stick it in. But then I had to cut it out and I had to like kind of decide, you know, that this actually doesn't have a place here or whatever. Cause I didn't really think very strategically in my first draft. Now I'm trying to avoid all the pain of a second draft by just having like the most perfect first draft, which means that now I'm like going through and like putting in some backstory, which I do actually think needs to go in in this draft so that I can move forward. But equally, you know, there is it's not the right thing that your first draft is perfect. Like and whatever you do, you can never write your first draft well enough for it to make up for the pain of revision. Uh, you know, and you're going to make mistakes, it's like fine. And I can feel that like tension between, you know, there are probably some things that I need to like get down in the beginning so that they kind of like the story can ferment enough, like while you're writing the second half. But equally, you don't, it's like I'm going to rewrite some of the stuff multiple times. So I need to move on and not. And so I'm a little bit stuck um, on word count and also like various other reasons. But Part of it is like, I really want the beginning to like be really good. And actually that's not what a first draft is necessarily for. And I think like a revision process, all that stuff that's in your head when you talk about it and you say, but the book's really about whatever, or the scene is really about, like that's what you somehow have to put into it. Cause very rarely in my experience does my first draft like match what I say is really about, right? Like the tone isn't necessarily there or the flow isn't there. Some of the plot might be there. Um, but I think it's that, and I want it to do that now because I know how hard it will be to do the revision. And I think it is like probably important to forget that you even have to do a second draft so that you can finish your first draft. I think that's so true. And I think it's almost like, how do you deal with almost, it, it almost makes me think of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Like how do you erase the knowledge you have about what's required in the second draft in order to do the first draft in a way that's enjoyable, but there is always that tension like, okay, I have to get through it. I have to get something down so I can work with it. But how do I get something down that is easy and effective to work with? Yeah. And I was reading and now like now, okay, I have a lot of ways that I think I'm doing my first draft wrong, basically. Uh, but I was reading this interview and I do not remember. It was in the, I think it was in the Paris review and I'll send it to you later. 
Uh, but anyway, one of them said that they would write everything down, not even thinking about what kind of book it was going to be or any kind of structure, like usually through a third of the book, like, but just like get things down. Um, and that kind of free, like totally hippie experience of magic, <laughs> writing something down. And then they put some kind of structure around it, like for the second half or the second two thirds of writing a first draft. And I was like, oh, but that's a great way because I never did that, you know, so now it's like, okay. Anyway, I'm trying to recreate the perfect first draft experience, but I think it's really important to get something of that feeling of what you're trying to do, which like if you focus on only plot structure in my, I am not capable of making a plot structure that conveys that other element where you want it to feel like magic and periwinkle and roses. And instead you're like writing like in scene two, this happens. I know. That's the, that's the trickiest part is like how I feel like I talk about my book now with people and say oh, people who I, you know, haven't managed to brush off asking me what it's actually about. <laughs> and and then I, if I describe it at all, people are like, ooh, that sounds cool. And then I think, oh, God, like, I feel like the, the draft that I have now is is not adequately living up to this premise that yeah. exists. Yep. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and all so much of revision is just for me. It's just going through and saying, like, what am I actually trying to say, and then saying it, which sounds really simple. But and like for years, I mean, years, like since college, I have given people that advice when they're like, "Oh, can you read what I've written and tell me?" And I'm like, well, "What are you trying to say?" And then they tell me, and then I say, "Okay, we'll just write that." And it's like, wow, that's so simple, but it is completely so hard. And I think as you come to something, um, I, I don't remember who it was that I heard say this, but you write every every book you start is trying to fix whatever you did wrong the book before. And so, mm. you know, really like the last book I wrote didn't have enough going on. And so this one, I'm like, let's just throw everything into it. Do I want to talk about climate change? Yes. Do I want to talk about me too? Absolutely. Like, let's just put it all in. Oh, by the way, it's a summer romance. Like, what? Um, and so, <laughs> you know, and so now it's going through and saying like, okay, just because this was there in my original concept, is this really serving what I'm trying to say now? And what am I trying to say? over the whole book and in this one scene and I don't even know most of the time what I want to say let alone like what I'm actually saying that goes for this answer too okay. <laughs> I think that's so true I, I mean yes things that are simple are rarely easy especially with writing it's like oh what do you want to say then just say that I mean yeah absolutely and almost impossible to figure that out almost impossible to figure out on your own I find mm -hmm. yeah sure. Yeah. I want to be one of those people that like huddles away with my manuscript until it's like perfect. And then everyone just tells you how perfect your book is. Maybe like you should put a comma on page 40. But like, uh, that's not my experience. Like I really need a lot of uh, individuals like involved or reading parts of it or, you know, I need to fail. And this is true in other parts of my life. I need to fail a little bit, like quite a lot in my process. And then like, as I do that, it's like, okay, and then you get somehow the strength to make something better. Yeah, I think that's totally true. Yeah. I think it, it's, I think I try, I've been trying to do this, I don't know how successful it will be as I keep going through the revision, but I'm trying to be the least attached to the words on the page at the beginning. And maybe I'll allow myself to get more attached to them. But in the first draft, I was like, all of this could go. You know, this character could go, this situation, this sentence, this moment, it could all go. So I want to write it with enthusiasm, but I don't want to be heartbroken if it doesn't stay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the sort of Zen master trick, right? Like you need to not be attached, but also like to be fully present while you're doing it. It's so difficult. Yeah. yeah. Or pretend it's someone else's and then... It's different. Yeah. I, the most fun revision I ever had was with my first book. I completely, the first draft, I just completely threw it, like threw it away, just, um, and wrote it out, broke it down to an outline and then just started over. So again, it was sort of serial first drafting. Um, I just started from the beginning and rewrote it from 
from nothing. Um, well, from an outline, but just completely started over. And I kept maybe 15% of the original draft and I got rid of like, in, like you said, entire characters and whole things and all of the words. And um, it was really satisfying. But, you know, that one didn't go anywhere, so. I don't know. That sounds sounds kind of risky and great. Did you, okay, can I ask a little bit about the actual nitty gritty? I can't avoid it. I can't avoid it. Did you read through the whole thing and make an outline from it and then just write looking at the outline, not at the original manuscript or how? Okay, so you just didn't even look back. I I didn't. So I opened a brand new Scrivener file. I put the outline in there, you know, I made scenes for each one with sort of a little, I don't, didn't name them, I just, with a little description. Um, I did import the first draft down at the bottom in like a folder that says first draft in case I wanted to copy stuff in. So if I did copy in a scene, that was okay. Um, I copied it in at the bottom and then I hit enter like 15 times and just started up at the beginning and like just started writing as if I were describing what I had written. Does that make sense? Um, yes. So I wasn't, I wasn't revising the words. I was basically telling, like you said, telling someone about what I had written the first time and what it was really about. Um, and that worked really well. Unfortunately, with this draft, <clears throat> this book that I'm working on right now, I am a better writer than I was <laughs> seven years ago when I started this first novel. And I am having a harder time doing that because I'm like, well, this, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the words. It's not the words that are the problem. It's not the writing that's the problem. It's the book that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's like a knife in the chest. Yeah. So what do you do there, right? How do you mean the book is the problem? I need to know more. Well, okay, so, like, everybody likes to focus, because I guess it's easier and it's more fun on, like, sentence level and how can I make this sentence prettier or use a different word or that kind of thing. And, like, the one thing that I learned through the query process and the, you know, request and refuse, you know, request and rejection process um, is that my, like, my writing is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with how I put a sentence together. There's nothing wrong with the words I put on the page. There's nothing even really wrong with voice. But what is a problem is what is happening and where is it going and what is going on. And like I said, the first one was very quiet. And so this one is like, let's put it all in. Um, and so now I'm having to find that balance. But it's not even necessarily structure from a point of like, I'm going to have one chapter from this point of view and one from that. This is not a dual point of view book, but just as an example, um, it's not even structure in that sense, as in like one third is going to be from this thing and this is going to be that. Um, It's more of a, like I said, what are you trying to say? And then say it kind of perspective. It's not the words, it's what's underneath the words. Yep. (laughs) You look look dismayed. (laughs) No, I'm not dismayed. I'm thinking about how that's true for mine as well, where it's like, there are things that need to happen, but I think you get to this point with a book where you're so kind of buried in the possibility of, Mm -hmm. oh, this could happen, or this could happen, or this could happen. And because, you know, you're making the whole thing up, basically. Yeah, you're following characters and making sure that what they do makes sense and it makes sense to the world in which this is happening, but it is kind of paralyzing when there are so many different possibilities, especially when you have a lot of things going on, you know, and then revision forces you to think, is this a good idea? Is there a better idea? And there could always be a better idea. There could always be a better way to make something happen. So, you know, how do you keep going without getting completely paralyzed and tied up in nuts? This is the, this is the question I keep asking myself and, and that's others. a great question yeah when you find out can you text us I know I was like do you have the answer you sound really like <laughs> there's something in there as you're saying that well I think yeah. on one hand I think for me what's comforting this is definitely an Olivia approach like I'm very uh like an optimist and also unrealistic about how much time is required for literally everything 
Um, but I think that at the end, you develop a story about how you made all the changes. So, and like the choices that you made, because when you, I mean, it, what I was thinking initially was like, what might be helpful is hearing other people talk about like, how do they know that this is the right thing? But I don't think that's necessarily true. Like, how do you know you lived your life correctly? I think when you're, if you have the fortune to live until you're old, like you just tell yourself that I, because you can't change it actually. Um, and so I think you develop a kind of theory as you go along. So I think like the choices that you make, you um, really big on intuition lately as well. So like you need to follow your feelings and your intuition and just like really sort of think like what is the right thing in this situation? Follow that and like, you know, keep plugging into that. And then later you will have a kind of theory about what happened, hopefully. Or if not, then you have to like unstitch everything and do it again. That's so true because talking about something after the fact is completely different than talking about it in the middle. So it's kind of nice that we're all in the middle talking about it now because I think you do lose that because people make meaning out of situations. That's what we do. And it's easy to have a story, like a great example being my resume, which looks like 20 people who didn't like each other very much all did a bunch of different jobs and then put it on a resume. Like it's, it's really bizarre. It's like, does this person have some sort of like identity crisis? Is that what's going on here? And yet if, if I have to, I can come up with a story about why this makes complete sense that this happened in this order. And I think revision is the same way. You're having to look at all of the opportunities that exist for each of these characters and sort of decide why the ones that you're choosing are the best ones for them to follow. Yeah. And you can always undo it. Yeah. And later you'll, it'll be part of a big story about why that was the wrong thing. You know, it'll be like, (laughs) Oh, I just knew that this person really needed to be like this. So it's perfect. So say more about the intuition, like how do, what kind of experience do you have? Like if people are trying to engage intuition in figuring out which direction to take a character or a story in, what kind of signals are you looking for? Or do you feel? We can go down the tarot card route in a minute, but yeah. um, <laughs> uh, which I've explored much more since you were on our podcast talking about tarot. Um, so, but I think also one of the good things this helps in first drafting, but I think it can help anytime. Is like it's from uh, we both have worked with Carrie Fry as a book coach before, um, and she gave me the task once when I was doing some of my early first drafting for one of my characters to like literally walk around your house pretending that you are this person like this guy is pretty large and you know he's kind of like a fat oligarch and so I needed to like walk around my house for a while pretending to be like a fat (laughs) oligarch dude Uh, and you get into a different like (laughs) you should have filmed this (laughs) I would I'm glad I didn't but uh, I'll probably need to do it again in the revisions you know where it's like what would this person do and you actually literally need to kind of inhabit their body I think especially writers are often like very in their heads and, you know, perfectionist writers are really, really in our heads and not very in our bodies. So like literally you need to like physically be in the body of your character. Um, So I think that can help to be like, okay, now like imagine like you could even like step it through or pretend you're in the room where whatever. And then like, where does he want to go? Right. And like really embody that as well. I think it's important to kind of think, okay, what is this kind of person? Another thing I've done lately because uh, I'm doing all backstory and stuff. It's like, what is this person like? Which you know, which actor would play your character in the film? And spend a lot of time looking at like random actor people, um, and like try to you know watch clips of them and see how they move. And it's like a lot about physicality, but I think physicality tells you something about how your characters think and what they would do. But if you only are in their head or in your head, like first of all, it's just really hard to be out of your head if you can't get out of your body, you know, or even into your body. Uh, let alone somebody else's, you know? So I think like the more you can kind of try to meld this uh, physicality and the thinking, the better. That makes so much sense because I think it's really easy to think about, especially description and setting from, you know, the height that you are, the sort of size that you are and how much that would change and what details you would notice and what would be significant. Yeah. I mean, a, a good example that just came to me as you were talking is um, my brother is like a full foot taller than me. He's six six or two meters tall for those in the 
in the metric system, um, like exactly two meters tall. And so the difference between how I look at a room and how he looks at a room is so different. Like, is the chandelier going to hit me in the face? Like, how high are these things? Can I fit into the shower? Like all of those kinds of details, I don't even notice them because they make no difference to me. But if I had a big oligarch tall character, that's going to be completely different. I love this idea. So I think that can be really important. Um, And then, I mean, anything else that gets you outside of like your normal thinking is pretty important as well. Symbols and stuff like that, you know, and so tarot is useful. We can, yeah, discuss that as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. If I need, if I'm like, well, what's really going on here? I like to pull a card for what's really going on here because there's always something else underneath that isn't just this person is going to have a conversation with this person. Like it's never just about that. And, you know, thinking outside, like what do they do right before the scene? Because often your scenes are sort of choppy. So like, where are they coming from? Unless your narrative is like, really like they're walking like you follow them down the road and you whatever I took a filmmaking class like very brief like two-day filmmaking class and even just to walk down the road and have your character coming from different like you know camera shots with different angles you really have to think about that picture completely differently so like if you change the camera angle in your writing or like where did they just come from or what if they walked through a different door or whatever then that can also change your understanding of what's happening in that scene are they sweaty right are they do they just come from the gym so then they have that endorphin rush or opposite or whatever you could it feels like you could do a whole revision from so many different perspectives like you could do one that's just on the body you could do one that's just on the thought process you could do one on motivation you could do one on time period of history like i I think about this and I can see just like you can get trapped writing a first draft it's just so easy to see ways that you can get trapped going on and on and on in the details forever yeah how do you how do you avoid that yeah I was just thinking like if you um, because I have a tend like I'll write a certain kind of detail in our writing group we've also been looking at people's writing and so some people were saying like what does it smell like or what does it whatever feel like in a particular way so whatever detail that you tend to put in when you think you need to describe something you should like take out two or three of those details and then think of some other detail that you didn't think of putting and put that in instead right So, because often you'll overwrite when it's like, okay, how does, and I do that to get into a scene. Sometimes I'll overwrite the description, take a bunch of that out, keep a couple of key things, and then also put something that you didn't naturally think of first. It's like we need a wild card deck. Like, you know, that's, that's (laughs) things that you wouldn't normally say, like somebody's fear or something, you know, something that you wouldn't normally write about. If you tend to put people in certain kinds of situations or describe it in certain kind of ways, how do you how do you avoid these kind of shorthand habits? One of the things that I do, because um, Olivia and I have such different styles, is I do try to think like, oh, what would Olivia add in or what would she ask is missing? And it's usually, it is usually those things like she's talking about with the filmmaking, like, you know, where are they coming from? Like, what is happening as they do this thing, like the the physical blocking and um, the, the sensory details I'm, I tend to overdo and the, the, the blocking details are the ones that I under write. And so finding that balance, um, but having a, a good, a good critique partner, even if you're not sharing that work yet, just knowing like, what is it that they normally do notice about your writing? Um, someone who knows you're writing really well and they can kind of, they can kind of sit in your head and it's a much friendlier inner critic than your own personal inner critic. I think any critic is going to be friendlier than your own inner <laughs> critic, right? <laughs> I think at all costs, avoid what your own personal inner critic would say because it's just brutal. Yeah. My inner critic is like, why are you writing? This is obviously a waste of time. Like, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. really horrific. Um, whereas Megan's like, what does it smell like? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, I can work with that. The other one, yeah, it's like, exactly. there's no answer for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. think you are. Yeah. The other one I like to do in that sense, so if you don't yet have, you know, a writing partner who knows your work really well, if you're not in that place yet, I also like to look at things I'm reading where I really like the way that something is done and I feel like, oh, I don't know how they did that. I will sometimes in a tricky scene think, how would this writer write this scene? And then try to write it sort of with that focus and that can be a way to get into the places that you don't normally go into. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. 
And I think the more you can do that as a warm up or something else, like I'm a big, I'll be like, how would this writer? And I keep it all in my head or like, what does it look like? And again, it's all in my head. I've started, Megan's gotten me onto drawing things. Uh, and so I've started drawing all kinds of stuff. Like I'm trying to draw, like even on a post-it note, like something I can see, right? Because it really does. I think the more, this is obviously a theme, uh, but the more that you can take things out of your head and like actually do them, right? Like whether it's, you know, write a paragraph in the style of some other writer or draw it instead of, you know, draw it a map of your city or whatever, like it will still, it will enhance your understanding and it also makes it like a lot less scary. That's so true. I love the map drawing. Love. Especially like, where is the stuff in this room? It was interesting. I was reading um, some Agatha Christie recently, which I've, I know her stories, of course, but I hadn't really read them recently. And I was reading a couple of Poirot's and they actually have diagrams in there. Like, here's a diagram of what the room looked like. And this is where the chair was. And there's like actual diagrams that you can see as the reader, which I can't imagine seeing that in other books, but I really found it satisfying. Yes. I really like diagrams. So you you can include that. You can do anything you want in your book. If you think it helps. Exactly. Or you don't even have to include it. I think the fact of drawing it and knowing it, I feel like then that cuts down on my feeling like I have to describe it to myself in the scene in a way. Yeah. Because I have the problem where I write too much blocking and not enough scene detail. I think I'm a little more in Olivia's camp on the, on the habits (laughs) and the, which muscles are stronger. It's like when you do the same kind of workout all the time and like you have certain muscles that are really easy to use and other ones that have no strength whatsoever. If we go back to your building the body metaphor, Megan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although sometimes I feel like I'm building it like completely out of sequence. Like I'm like, oh, here's a liver. What do I, where do I put that? You know? <laughs> like, oh, we already closed up the belly button too much. Yeah. Keep it out. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, we're going to have to go back in. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it feels like, you know, you're like constantly like shifting things around to make space for something you forgot or um didn't get to I don't know I've tried to use checklists you know that people write for how to revise a novel and you know and it's always like how to revise a novel in 30 days and I'm like "Ah, yeah right yeah that is I I don't know how you do that yeah day one fix all your plot holes and I'm like really have you read my novel (laughs) like (laughs) let's spend 30 days on that and then move on to day two but I find that sometimes they're too like concrete, um, concrete tasks, and you know maybe maybe that's an issue with my first draft, or maybe that's an issue with with the way I write in general. But um, just saying like, okay, I'm going to go through and I'm going to look at just this one thing all the way through in this very specific task. It it works and it doesn't work if that makes sense. I don't know where I was going with that, but other than other people's checklists can be useful, but they aren't always right for you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like fixing, obviously fixing the big stuff first and then you move on to the smaller stuff, but it's, you have to look at your book and decide like, what is the big stuff? And that sounds also like it might be third revision, depending on how messy your first draft is. So like, yeah. And the fact that I did just say, okay, I'm done with my first draft. I'm calling this now the second draft. But I do feel like this one I wrote in, I've talked about this with our writing group in layers. So I do feel like I did put this like base layer down and now it's like building up on top of it. And um, a lot of revision is approached through the lens of cutting. And that has not been the where I've come from in this one. It really is a process of building. And so um, that's probably why that's not as, as helpful. But it's, it's more just making sure like if you want to have a different building metaphor, like those big pavers are where they need to be before I add something on top of that foundation. I think that assumes a lot too, when they have these methods where that, which is about cutting, that they assume, yeah, of course you may not keep a lot. I think there's a lot that will get chucked, but I think it's sort of, are you fundamentally an underwriter or an overwriter? You know, do you write, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm writing like the literary equivalent of fruitcake. It's like I'm handling... <laughs> all of the issues, but it's not light and fluffy and there isn't a lot of space in between the elements. So I feel like I assume that my second draft is going to be longer than my first, even if most of it gets cut, just because there's more, there's a, there's a more digestible, that's a horrible word to use in terms of writing, but like a more, um, 
like a fluffier and more enjoyable way to to read it than just really dense. I've got to handle all of the questions that there might be about the story. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. When I'm adding in my back uh, story in previous chapters, I'm like basically rewriting a lot of scenes because I now kind of understand a couple of characters and they're like three times longer probably. And so I had originally planned that my first draft would be like, I don't know, 80 to a hundred thousand words. Um, but now I think probably it'd be smarter if that was like 70 because yeah, I also make fruitcakes. Uh, but you know, it's just like really sparse actually some of the scenes and it's like really only like the thing that happens and actually it needs quite a lot of stuff around it. Do you find that you know sort of everything about why after the first draft? Cause that's another reason I feel like I do the fruitcake thing is because I'll know something needs to happen and I'll have some sort of structure that indicates what the backstory is for it, but I won't necessarily know what it is. And I need to write the rest of the book and spend more time with the character in order to know what it is. And then it can come in in the second draft. I don't know if you have that experience at all. Uh, it's like, I mean, this is good because I have not written for a while. I've been sick. And so I'm like, just like, it, I have to sigh a lot because I feel like I don't know anything anymore. But um, I know the beginning and the end. Like, I know some big picture stuff. I like really understand the end scenes, right? Of, I have two different points of view and I know how both of those are. And I basically feel like I know how they feel as well. Um, and then, but I, there's a lot of stuff, like everything in the middle, I don't know. Um, so I think that's good in one sense, but in another sense, Sometimes it just feels like you're like just doing this slog through nothing really matters because like you already know the end or something. I don't know. I can't explain it very well. But that was not true in the first book. The first book, I kind of like just had an interesting idea about a character that was basically more or less myself. And uh, like I wanted to put her in random situations. But I never really figured out how the hell that book ends. Uh, and so it's very different. That's tough when you know the end. I mean, I knew the end also of mine. And then like the middle feels like, oh, we just got to get through all of this because I know what's going to happen afterwards. Yeah. I also knew the end and I thought I knew the why. And it's been really interesting because as I have been going through this revision, I have found the real why or what at this point I feel like is the real why. Now, six weeks from now, I may have a completely different one. Um, but this one really answers the question to me anyway, of like why each scene follows from the next. Um, and that there's a tool that is called the inside outline from um, a group mm. called author, author Accelerator. And basically the, the whole premise is that you, I'll send you a link to it so you can. Yeah. But the premise is that you look at your whole book and every scene has to kind of follow from the previous one, which I mean, Again, it's one of those things that sounds simple, but is hard to execute. Um, but the idea is that this happened, and this is the emotional like why of why it needed to happen. And because of that emotional why, the next scene happens. And so you have this chain going through. Um, and that has been a useful revision tool, a slightly frustrating revision tool. But when you do figure out sort of your your bigger why like why is this because I had this great idea and I was like okay I need a book with a hook like here's a fantastic hook like this is super but I never really I, was, I have been constantly like asking my character like why are you doing it this way why does it have to be public why does it have to be this why does it have to be that and like not having an answer to it but just kept going um but but yes answering the I did not have that in the first draft and I did not have that for the first half of the revision. And now I'm stuck in the middle um, revising. And now that I've realized that why, now I feel like I have to go back, go back to the beginning and kind of sprinkle it in. But it might help going forward, if that makes sense. It does. I think, it's, I think the revised draft, it's always really difficult because... As the reader, when you come in and read a book, you don't have any experience of all the ideas, all the questions that changed, all of the things that the writer tried and abandoned and all of this. And, but to the writer, I think it's always going to feel a little bit like Frankenstein's monster in a way. Like, oh, I took this liver out. I put it in the other side. He had three kidneys. Then I thought, oh, that's, maybe that's okay. You know, and, and you do all of this. And to us, it looks so stitched up 
because we see other places where we cut things out and where we put things back in. But when someone reads it, they don't have any frame of reference for that. And it's so difficult to imagine what that must be like and to read it like it was inevitable that this is the way it happened. Yeah. 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 And that inevitability is so important in the finished product, um, being able to see it. And I think that's where the checklists are really difficult is you don't approach a revision with all the answers, all the questions answered. And so, and the checklists sort of like presuppose that you do. And the idea is that you go all the way through your book, scene to scene to scene to scene with that one answer that you already know, and then you fix it. But what really happens is you get to scene 30 out of, you know, 95 and you say, oh shit, like that's the answer. And you get really excited and then you have to start over and then you go back through and then you get to like scene 50 and you answer another question that was really important. And so it's, it's not as smooth as saying, okay, today I'm going to tackle all of the instances where these, all of this subplot line, like where these people are talking about this project, you know, like it doesn't work like that because you don't, you still don't know until who even knows what draft you have. I mean, I still think about the other book that I wrote and like, what if I rewrote it from this perspective, you know, like, Maybe it would work that better that time. I mean, it won't work better that time. I mean, that that one is dead. But that's why those I think those checklists can be really frustrating too, and don't work for me. I, I agree. I mean, it it sort of presupposes that you're doing all of this with complete command of everything, and that everything is deliberate and conscious, and that you know the whole thing on the surface. Yeah, and maybe there are writers who do spend so much time and energy. And like doing their homework first, that when they do sit down, they just put all the pieces together that they've built. But you know, maybe that's a conversation for another day about. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get thing. some other guests for that. We yeah, don't know. I yeah. just, I mean, I think that some people do write that way, but that doesn't mean um, that everybody does. And I yeah. think this is this comes to what my biggest fear about revision is, which is that. Given that, like you were saying, you get to scene 30 and then you have a big insight that takes you back to the beginning and then you get to scene 50 and then you have another aha. My fear is that that never stops happening because just like, you know, you can know people your whole life and they'll do something that surprises you. I feel like this is also possible with characters and with the story. And so how do you prevent yourself from rewriting the thing like 40 times just because you learn something new about the character and you think, oh, what if they did this? I just feel like this is maybe what the the line my critic is running on me right now, which is like, you're always going to find out more about these people. It's never going <laughs> to end. <laughs> well, they say that they, if this is one of those like writing wisdom things that flips around, um, that, you know, you, you, revive, you rewrite until you're just changing things and not making them better. And, you know, you can always change things, but at what point is it not improving your your work? Yeah, I was, yeah, similarly, I was going to say that it's like probably just narrows. Like right now, your aha moment, it like really changes the why of your book overall. Whereas it's like, oh, I think they really wear green sweaters throughout, you know, like no one really cares, you, doesn't matter, you know, and I've done that. And then, I mean, ultimately, I think in my first book, I don't think all of the whys added up to a compelling enough book. And I don't think it ever would have. Um, I could change the premise of the book and change the plot. And then it's a different book. And maybe, and that still pops in my head from time to time. But like that situation, it was not like, I just wasn't skillful enough as a writer to be able to create something that made sense and held together as a novel. And that's fine. Like, um, and so it wasn't like it needs more revising. It feels like this visual of, when you, um, I think it's a mathematical principle, but if you keep approaching something halfway in the beginning, it's really big steps. But by the end, yeah. it's just like, if you feel like you're just like going a millimeter to refine, then that's when you let it go. Yeah. I think for me, it'll be when I don't have like a panic attack if I imagine somebody else reading it like in public. <laughs> <laughs> There's just like mild concern, but not actual, you know, hyperventilate like normal concern like are they gonna like it or not or whatever but like it's not like mortifying like oh my god yeah. i wish I, I wish i could die if somebody sees this book i know it's yeah uh, 
That's an that's a tricky point. At what point do you start showing work? Like at what point do you share it? Do you share first drafts with anyone or do you only share revisions? I'm sharing as I go with Carrie. Uh, like I have whatever, 20, 15 to 20,000 words, chunks at a time that I'm sending her. Uh, because like, I really need like a private group of people. When I go for promotion at work, right, we have to do these interviews and I need a, like a trusted person who I can like fail miserably in front of at the first like time to do one of these like presentations or speech, like very bad. Usually I don't prepare because that's also part of my process of failure. Uh, is to procrastinate so long that it's like actually a crisis and then um, I fail really badly with somebody I really trust and they're like what the hell was that and then I can move on from that because it's like really literally the worst has happened already so it's good for me to get stuff out early basically because nothing I'm gonna like revise and turn into something else later is gonna be worse than that first thing and so I kind of feel more relaxed but that's just like my own weird shit in my head. That's cool. It's like you're in control of the worst case scenario. You're like, I will execute on the worst case scenarios so that I'm protected <laughs> from it later. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Megan? You shook your head no vigorously when I said yeah, you show first draft work. Um, you're like, no. I don't. Um, I, I did with this one. I actually showed my, my husband the first five chapters and he... <laughs> This is the book I'm writing as a young adult contemporary. It has the tropes of summer romance, but again, it's not like super light and fluffy. Um, that's not at all what he reads. Like, <laughs> it's like the complete opposite of what he reads. Um, so I did show it to him though because I wanted his I wanted his opinion of whether whether or not it was boring and he had a trip for work and he was reading it on the plane and he like got to the end of the five chapters and he was like, where's the rest of it? I want to see the rest of it. And I was like, he's like, you have something here. And then he pointed out a couple of big things that were helpful. And that was it. Like he's, um, he actually is a, it turns out is a really excellent first reader for me. Um, but that is, I wouldn't normally, I mean, at this point I would, I would send it to Olivia and say like, can you like, what's going on here? Um, but I think the other problem is when you share with someone, you know, for the most part, you're just sharing like a small piece and you get to a point in a revision where you need, you need help with the whole thing. Like the, the problem is not the first five chapters and the problem is not like the scene over here. The problem is like, the book. I mean, I keep going back to that. <laughs> what if the problem is the book? <laughs> The whole book. Um, but it is, though. Like, the problem is, like, how is this whole big, giant, like, albatross going to fly? Like, it doesn't, is it working or not overall? And, like, where is it not, where is it breaking down? And that's something that, you know, that's a huge ask of somebody. Yeah, it's also, it's, I mean, it's a huge trust to give someone the whole thing. Cause if you give them a piece, mm -hmm. then you can say things like, Oh, that question you had, that's totally handled several chapters yeah. later. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's completely yeah. fine. <laughs> but when you send, um, when you send the whole thing, it's like, they know if it's, if it's solved or not. And it bombs. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess as we're, I, I love this conversation because we're all kind of in the middle of it. And I'm wondering if you can each share kind of what your next steps are to feel like you're moving forward. And if you get to a place where you feel really stuck in a revision, what's something that you do that helps you move past that sense of stuckness? I think you can draw tarot cards or anything else where you can maybe just do something like add in an element of randomness, right? Or... Sometimes I would make myself write like 50 things that could happen in this chapter, you know, and it could be like everyone dies in a nuclear explosion or whatever. Uh, and, but it could be obviously closer to the actual plot of your book. Um, so that's one thing, like brainstorm. But I would, like, to be honest, if you're stuck, like sometimes do something else for a little bit, like set a timer, not a timer, but like make a, a note in your diary to come back to it in a week. I know it sounds scary because you think you have to achieve everything in a particular timeline, but if you just sit there frustrating yourself, it usually takes longer to get unstuck. Um, there are some people who say like, 
you know, ban yourself from writing entirely until you like really want to write for several days. And as soon as you tell yourself you can't write, then something would come to you, kind of reverse psychology on yourself. So like, but I honestly think taking a break is probably one of the better things that you can do. Um, and just sometimes you're stuck because you've run out of kind of creative inspiration. And if you let things ferment a little bit, then they will like, everything will be fine. I agree. And like work on something else. If you have that, like within the book, for example, just leave that scene and be like, I don't know what the hell is happening or like actually don't work on your book for a week or something. That's my, I mean, like, it's not magic. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have to be. Every time I've gotten really stuck and I would get like basically point of tears, like so frustrated. And then I'd be like, screw this. I'm not going to write this book anymore. Like I'm whatever. And sometimes you come back and it's like, you're really happy to be writing it. Yeah. I would say the same thing Um, or just skip it. That's, that's usually my first instinct is I'm just going to skip this and come back to it later. Um, (laughs) And if I find that I'm just like skipping and skipping and skipping and I, I can't move forward enough to find something that does work, then that's when taking a break is good. And I think because I like to block things so much, sometimes I write too many scenes about like, for yeah, with the same people in it. Uh, and so for example, recently I was like trying to write a kind of date or something with uh, somebody and, but I hadn't really fully figured out what are these two people's actual relationship with each other. And uh, then I was like, no, maybe the reader can also not know. And I don't know, to be honest. And but I, like this, they need to be kind of on a date later in the book. And so you, otherwise you have two parallel scenes. So I just like left it. And I was like, implies that my main character goes to see this person and they're on a date. Uh, and then you're going to be as the reader more interested in that scene because you'll be like, wait, what? They're hanging out and I didn't get to see it. And I don't know what's happening there, you know, and later you can reveal something else. So I think also like keeping more mystery in sometimes if you're, if you think that something that you're working on is boring or it doesn't work or something like, do you really need that? That's a lot of people say that, but honestly, if you're like stuck revising it, what if you just deleted the whole thing, whatever that element is, like, can your book survive? And if yes, then maybe leave it. Awesome. Well, this has been so great and such a treat to talk to both of you, especially from inside of the process, get into some of the feelings I love this body metaphor. Now I'm going to think about books as Frankensteins and, <laughs> and building the draft, but also really, really great thoughts and helpful ideas to help people move forward from inside of it before you get to the point when it's over and you're looking back and saying, of course, of course, that's how it worked. It was inevitable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this story was inevitable because it really yeah. isn't. There's a huge place and a huge period of time when it does not feel inevitable at all. So yeah. thank you yeah. both for speaking to that part of the process. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You're so welcome. It's been a treat. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.